I am just really delighted to be able to um, share today, and I trust that it will speak to your hearts in a way that will help you to grow spiritually and also give you, uh, inform you about some tools that we are going to be making available for not just Anchor Bend individuals, but others could also, as far as how to study God's Word. Uh, because from the pulpit at times you will hear you ought to study God. Anybody ever heard you ought to study God's Word? Yes. <laughs> okay. But it's one thing to tell people they ought to do something. It's another thing to help them with the hows. How do you do it? And so uh, I have the great privilege and blessing of uh, working on a video with uh, my brother in Christ over here, Philip Gaudet. Uh, we're doing a six-part series, uh, about 20 minutes, 20, 25 minutes for each session of it. We've done three of those videos, and this week it will be available through the website uh, as far as the, the initial ones, and then very shortly thereafter, the concluding three, uh, at least we'll have at least one out this week anyway. But, um, and I will have, in a little while, I'll have Philip come up as we will kind of give you a little sense of how that works, because he and I discuss back and forth during the videos, and, and our heart on it is, again, to get into the hows. And the whole topic of it uh, is, is going to be uh, the word of truth, uh, keys to engaging in the delights and the disciplines of studying God's word, because God's word is supposed to be a delight, it isn't to everybody, but it is supposed to be a delight. You know, delight yourself also in the law, you know. And, uh, and in addition, though, there are disciplines to it. And um, actually, uh, I'll, well, when I get back to the hockey example, uh, I had some delights and disciplines as I was young and, and learning to play hockey. Uh, and it actually ties in with our study of God's word. When I first started, um, my, my dad would make a rink and actually... Um, Ariana, if you have that, the picture of the hockey, can you maybe flip that up there right now? Okay, there's a young guy, okay, in a, in a backyard, Snyder, New York, outside of Buffalo, and I don't know if you're able to see it very well. Anyway, um, we used to build a rink in our backyard every year. Initially, it was just my dad who would do it, and then as my brother and I got older, we'd help out some, uh, quite a bit. <laughs> but when I, uh, I had a friend come into our town, uh, into our neighborhood, in our school, when I was eight or nine, who actually played in a league, a hockey league. And we had just played in our backyard up to that time. I, uh, I think at the time we decided to go into a league, I was nine years old, my brother was 12 years old. And as we got into it, I had played in my backyard, but never in a league, and wasn't that good. Uh, my brother was on the first line. Everybody on the first line were the best players on the team. And then the second line, next best, and the third line, next best. And if there was a fourth line, the worst, okay? My recollection is I was on the worst line, okay? But I went every single practice. I was there for every single practice. My dad wouldn't let me skip, <laughs> never let me skip, and, and put my heart into it as I was playing. And when I would get out on the, in, you know, in the actual games, which was not every rotation, I, you know, I put my heart into it. And then over the summer, when you grow up in, outside of Buffalo, New York, uh, back then, there were no indoor rinks, so I didn't get to play. But I um, came, I was ready when it came time for the next year, was excited about another year of playing hockey. And I can remember standing at the gate. Here's, this is the rink, okay? And I'm standing at the gate waiting to go out for the first time for the next year to, for practices and for coaches to choose who they're going to have on their teams. And when I stepped out on that rink and started skating, it was a world of difference. It was absolutely like a night and day difference between how I could skate the year before and how I skated that year. How I could stick handle the year before and how I could stick handle that year. How I could shoot the year before and how I could shoot that year. And so I was actually asked to be captain of our team that year, even though there were players who were older than I were was on that team. And in that league was, was named Outstanding Player of the Year. Now, I just say that as encouragement, okay? Because some of you may be going through difficult times, whether you're here face-to-face -face or whether you're online, you may be going through some difficult times. But there are, there's a process with God to stick it out. Just stick it out. And God is faithful to help you grow even when you're not seeing it, okay? Even when you're not seeing it. 
I love living where I do out in East Bernard, uh, which is about 15 miles that direct, wherever, I don't know which direction from this spot on this right here, but west, okay, on 98. And we live on the outer edge where we see farmlands. And I love every year just watching the crops. I take pictures also because at, at one point there's, there, you see no growth. You just see them planting the seeds. And then maybe a week later you'll see whoop, a little bit and you get excited. And then you don't see rapid growth for a period of time, and then whoop, all of a sudden it jumps up on you. And that's so much like our growth with God. And tonight, today's sharing is to grow with God or not to grow. Truth, trust, and transformation. Because our growth has a lot to do with the choices that we make. Will we be intentional about our getting to know God personally through prayer, through study of his word, through interacting with other believers, through small group fellowships. All of those things are vital in helping us to grow. And, and if we are faithful, God does the growing in us. He's the one that brings it to pass. He's the one that's responsible. Ultimately, if we plant and water like the farmer out in East Bernard, he's got to plant, well, you know, natural rain for that particular purpose. He fertilizes, but God brings the increase. So, um, as we get moving here this morning, I want to encourage you because every one of you is a leader. You, you realize that, right? Okay, every one of you is a leader. Uh, some people in here may not think so, but beyond a shadow of a doubt, every one of us has to lead at least ourselves. And then as we develop our character and we develop our leadership abilities, God may open up some doors to lead other people also. But every one of us has to at least lead ourselves. And during these trying times, which we are definitely going through in our, in our nation and in the world, uh, there are some things that we can do to encourage ourselves. And one thing that helped me this in the last week, I had a song that came to mind. It was a song I've known from distant past when I first started being involved in ministry. It was a hymn. Now, we don't sing all the hymns that we used to sing. I mean, I knew this by memory. My wife would know, have known it by memory as well as others. But uh, the title of it is Turn Your Eyes Upon Jesus. And in the times that we are in, I just want to read these words to you. I'm, uh, I'm not going to sing it, okay? So don't worry. <laughs> uh, as I shared in the earlier service, I come time, sometimes kid with my wife when she's starting to watch The Voice, and I'll just say, well, honey, is, is this my year for The Voice? And she very lovingly looks at me. No, dear. <laughs> this is not your year again for The Voice. <laughs> but I can at least read these words. And it says, turn your eyes upon Jesus. Look full in his wonderful face. And the things of earth will grow strangely dim in the light of his glory and grace. O oh soul, are you weary and troubled? No light in the darkness to see. There's a light for the, a look at the Savior and life more abundant and free. His words shall not fail you. And I love that so much, particularly as I get into truth, trust, and transformation and the importance of God's word. His words will not fail you. Maybe you've had a father, a mother whose words failed you, a husband, a wife whose words failed you. That may be. And, and I don't minimize that. I understand that can hurt. That can be anguish. But God's words will not fail you. He promised, believe him and all will be well. Then go to a world that is dying, his perfect salvation to tell. Turn your eyes upon Jesus, look full in his wonderful face, and the things of earth will grow strangely dim in the light of his glory and grace. So we have a key to turning our eyes to Jesus is to, and to keep growing is to look to God's word. And let me just have a prayer as we get into this uh, sharing today. Uh, God, I just ask for you to help us to hunger for your truth. Lord, I know I don't always hunger for your truth. And in those times, I'm thankful to just ask you, help me. And I ask that you would help those of us in this room who maybe don't hunger for you, don't hunger for your truth right now, that they would be asking you to help us to treasure your truth, that we might be able to grow as sons and daughters of God, 
that we might be able to understand what it is to be a son or daughter of God and become transformed into the image of you, Lord Jesus. I thank you that you are here with us. I thank you for your Holy Spirit moving mightily, whether here in this room or online, that you will continue to speak to us and give us insights as to how we can choose to grow each and every day. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, I am very thankful to Pastor Jim and Pastor Phyllis for giving me the opportunity to share as Pastor Jim is on his sabbatical. Uh, and the, Pastor Jim is very committed to leadership and helping people to grow, and, and it's a blessing for me to be able to uh, be able to be a part of this today as I'm sharing again with every one of you who is a leader. Uh, I'm also very, very thankful uh, that, uh, to have some people in my family here uh, this, right now, uh, several of them, and um, particularly my wife. Uh, Nanette has stuck with me for 40 and a half years, and, and she has uh, been a prayer partner. Uh, she's been my best friend as well as my love for 40 and a half years. And so I'm very thankful. And uh, in addition to all those, Mrs. Johnston, you are a delight. And I use that term, Mrs. Johnston, very intentionally. Uh, it's because she made a choice over 40 years ago to take on my name. She honored me by taking on my last name as her last name. And so it's, uh, we kind of go back and forth sometimes as far as, but it's just a, an affectionate term for her when I, when I call her Mrs. Johnston or Mrs. J, and she calls me Mr. J, and da 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 So don't think we're mad at each other if you hear us saying that. Anyway, it is a blessing to, uh, to have you here, uh, Nanette, as well as Karen and Jacob, my daughter and son-in-law, and Daniel and his date, dating girlfriend, Tiana, and several of his friends right there. That's awesome to see you guys also, tremendous. And, um, I, you know, there's all sorts of you guys I love to see, but I will point out one other. And um, that's the individual who is helping me with that series, the video series we're doing, Philip Gaudet, who is standing over here. He's a, a beloved brother. So um, having said all that, and the topic being truth, trust, and transformation, there have been a few things that I have had transformed in my particular life, okay? Um, some of you, uh, you may have been mistaken as you came in here and thought that I was Pastor Jim, okay? But I'm not, okay? Different hair, no beard. Uh, I am not as tall as Pastor Jim is. I can tell you I don't have tattoos, okay? Um, he does wear jeans, but his have holes in them. And thankfully, mine don't, okay? However, once upon a time, and unfortunately, the picture I'm going to show you, it, it, it's supposed to be able to show it, but... Oh, yes, good. Praise the Lord. You can see it. Okay, you see down by those knees there? This is college. This is the 1970s, okay? And some people are um, trend followers. Others of us are trend setters. So in any event, that, that picture, there's one other picture I want to show you as far as transformation for, in my life. And here's a picture going out to Vail, Colorado, the spring of my, soft, my freshman year in, at college. Uh, five of those are all fraternity brothers. That's, behind us is the cosmic puppy. The VW bus, the cosmic puppy. That was Jim Spellman, who's on the far right. Uh, and, and I'm on the far left, right? No. <laughs> He's a little taller than I am. But the next guy over, that's me, okay? And so... <laughs> I'm glad I learned to get a haircut in between then and now. <laughs> so sometimes there are good transformations that take place, and that's what we're looking at as we get into God's Word today. Um, and then also, uh, anyway, some other transformations that I may get into. But in light of the truth, understanding the truth, and why the truth is important, uh, I've had a, a journey in regard to that. And I trust that you're on a journey, a similar journey, as you get into God's Word. My journey with the truth came out of the 1960s, and that dates me, certainly. But from the mid-1960s mid to 1970, I was a teenager, 
And the 1960s were a very, very difficult time in our country. I trust that you have learned that through your history classes in high school and or college. Sadly, you may not have learned all of that. But the truth is, it was a very turbulent time. Three assassinations. President Kennedy was assassinated, I believe 1963. He had been in office a couple years. Assassinated, president of the United States. Then Martin Luther King Jr., civil rights leader, very important civil rights leader who honored God in many of the things that he did, was assassinated. And then Robert Kennedy, brother of John Kennedy, as he was running for president, he, or he was running on, as a Democrat, he wanted to be nominated to run for president. He didn't make it because he was assassinated. Three assassinations one year, 1968. You have the Vietnam War going on there. You have riots in the cities. This is the 1960s where I was a teenager. It made an impact on me. And it, and it did things to make me sort of rebellious toward various things because that was sort of the cultural norm for people in my age group and my brother who was three years older than I. To be kind of rebellious, to question authority, whether that had to be within the home or whether it had to be within church or whether it had to be with the government. And so I was questioning authority as I graduated from high school. And yet there was something inside of me as I was graduating from high school that asked a very important question. And that question was, is there something more? Is there something more? Some of you may be wondering that today, as you look at society today, the world, the United States, the crazy things that are going on, having to wear masks, all of that sort of stuff. You may be asking, is there something more? Well, there is. But it took me a while to figure some of that out. And the problem was, as I'm going to share here, is my direction in how to try to figure it out initially. For a couple of years, as I went off to study at Cornell University, my primary, my, <laughs> there's another brother in, who went to Cornell. <laughs> Pavel went a few years after I did. He's not as ancient as I. Um, <laughs> thankfully. <laughs> no, no, I'm not. I'm blessed with where I am, by the way. Okay, I'm, I'm 68 years old. I'm blessed. I have a wonderful wife. And I've learned that as I hit birthdays to be thankful for two things. Number one, that God has given me another year to grow in wisdom. And, and, and that, that may happen or not. It depends on whether I am purposeful about it. But the other thing is going to happen no matter what. And that is Christ is going to come back and I'm closer to his return. Okay. So, um, anyway, as far as then, as I headed off to college, I was, um, interested in academics, in my academics and put my, my time and heart into it. But the underlying issue that really had gripped me was what is truth? I wanted to know what is truth. And so the first two years I was there, I'd come back from classes, I'd take some classes that might help me to figure out truth. Some philosophy classes, psychology classes, uh, comparative religion, Eastern religion classes. And I had interactions with certain people, like the individuals in that, in the, the cosmic puppy. <laughs> we drove straight out from Ohio. We stopped in Ohio from Ithaca, stopped in Ohio one night, then drove straight out through the night. Oh, goodness gracious. Some of those crazy things you do as a young person. But um, I, so I took the classes, and I was uh, interested to figure out truth on my own. Some of the people were good individuals, like I, I mentioned in that Cosmic Puppy group. Others uh, were not so good. And I actually got involved with a young lady, and that was not a good relationship for me, nor was it really ultimately a good relationship for her. And it took me away from a, uh, a direct pursuit of truth. I was still underlying interest. But it took me a while before um, uh, I saw some of the consequences. And I took a semester off, my spring semester, what would have been my sophomore year, I took it off, stayed up in Ithaca, continued to do some of the same things and pursue truth, was still involved with that young lady, though. And things were very confusing. Things were hard. I was discouraged. I, I was confused, very honestly. And then as the summer came, I uh, enrolled in another class, uh, went to visit that young lady um, at her home in New York City, 
and broke up with her. I was wise enough <laughs> uh, that I and, and eventually broke up with her. And very interestingly, by breaking off that ungodly relationship, something happened. Shortly thereafter, as I went out one night from the dorm I was staying in uh, that summer, I prayed for the first time in years. Okay, not the first time, but the first time in years. And interestingly, shortly thereafter, I had an interest in learning more about the Bible. And knew of a group that taught the Bible, had small group fellowships on the Bible, and so I started attending some small group fellowships, heard them share, uh, and they shared about a retreat that was coming up in the fall of that year in upstate, further upstate New York, close to the Canadian border. I decided I'd go. I was a little um, apprehensive about it, but I did. First day there, I wasn't too excited. Uh, there were just certain things about it I didn't really care for that much. Uh, but I had a roommate who was blind, and I really enjoyed interacting with him and seeing his faith in God, even though he was blind, and that was not a you know that was not the end of the world to him because he could have a sense of God and what who God was. But the second day something changed. We went into a room much smaller than this, and there was an individual teaching. I have no clue to this day who it was that was teaching. I don't remember a name. I don't even picture a face. But as he was sharing from the Bible, he shared out of Matthew six thirty three. This was the King James Version of the Bible back then. And he shared, But seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things shall be added unto you. And a light bulb went off in my heart. I knew that 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 was truth. If I never heard anything else after that that was truth, I knew that was truth. It wasn't something that I had figured out I had been trying to do that for two years, figuring it out on my own. It was something that was revealed to me as a, a person spoke about a biblical verse. And God's spirit spoke into my heart and brought it to life, which he can do for every one of us at times with different scriptures. He'll bring them to life in order to apply in a specific situation that you may have. So Matthew 6.33 went off. It was a fire inside of my bones. And it has been that way ever since. For 47 years, it's been there speaking to my heart. And a pole star, Peter, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these things shall be added unto you. It's a pole star in my life, just like the North Star to ships. And it has helped me to make all sorts of decisions. Now, when that initially took place in my life, the explosion of light went off in my heart and mind, this is truth. That didn't mean that I immediately figured the whole Bible was truth. But I did get involved in those small groups. I did listen to people share. I listened to tapes. Some of you might remember audio tapes. <laughs> Maybe you don't, but once upon a time. Anyway, I would listen to teachings and I'd learn, and I'd, and I'd put it into my heart, and I'd look at the scriptures. And one of the things I would do is, what is taught in the scriptures is to prove all things, hold fast that which is good. When somebody taught something, I would go back to the scriptures myself and say, yeah, is that really true? Because God tells us to do that, by the way, in First Thessalonians. Prove all things or test all things, hold fast that which is good. And so... As I started to get into the scriptures more and see more about it, eventually I looked at what the scriptures said about themselves, the nature of God's word. And I saw that it talked about the word being pure, about the word being living and powerful, about many different aspects about the nature of God's word, and eventually did come to the decision, yes, God's word is truth, absolute truth, okay? Absolute truth. Now, having said that, I've got to add a caveat to that, okay? That while I believe God's word is absolute truth, I don't have all of the truth, okay? I don't. Because of our fallen nature, I, as a human being, don't have all of the truth, and therefore, I am not an absolutist, meaning thinking that I've got all the answers. I don't. God's word does, and if I'm faithful, I can go back to those and learn those and talk to others and come, you know, see how it may apply in a given situation, but my belief in absolute truth does not make me an absolutist. 
And the second thing that I want to mention is in my belief about absolute truth, I need to communicate it in love. Truth and love are a combination in the word of God. God is the God of truth. Jesus is the truth. And yet they both are love. Okay. And so we, we need to make sure that that's how we communicate it. So having shared that as far as a bit of my personal journey and getting into truth, uh, I want to share as far as um, why it's so important, not just for me personally, but for each of us in this room. You see, truth is the key that unlocks the door for not only personal trust and transformation, as I have been blessed to see, but also family trust and transformation. When you apply the truth in your life as a family, then there's more trust. There's more godly transformation. And even in a nation that, or in a church, it's, the, it's where there is truth, there can be greater trust and transformation, and in a nation. So it's, a, it's huge how big this, this aspect of God's truth really is. And in a book called, entitled True Truth, Art Lindsley, who is a scholar in residence at C.S. Lewis Institute and the author of that book, makes this statement. He says, truth is the decisive issue of our time. Truth is the decisive issue of our time. Ever heard people say, well, I just believe truth is relative. That's dominant, okay? That's dominant. That's what most people think. Truth is just relative. It's good for you, it's good for you, but not for me. And that's not what God says. Okay, that's not what God says. So truth is the decisive issue of our time. And a former Russian political prisoner under communism, Alexander Sozhenitsyn, I would hope that that rings a bell for everybody. I doubt that it does. But Alexander Sozhenitsyn was imprisoned by the communists in Russia for a period of time because he didn't agree with the communists. And for that reason was in prison and suffered as a result eventually got out of prison and came to the West for a while and, and shared uh, at a, I think it was a Harvard graduation, if I remember correctly, and he uh, spoke about Western civilization. And he said, the problem with Western civilization is you don't have courage. <laughs> and you don't have courage because you don't have the word of God. Well, that didn't go over so well with the intellectual. <laughs> but he was bold enough to speak the truth. And one reason was because of a Russian proverb which was near and dear to his heart, an ancient Russian proverb that said, one word of truth outweighs the world. One word of truth outweighs the world. Now, tragically, in America, there's an overwhelming indifference to the truth. As Chuck Colson wrote back in 1997, anybody, let me see some hands. Anybody ever heard of Chuck Colson? I see a few, not everybody, and that's not terribly surprising. Okay, so I'll introduce Chuck for a moment because Chuck actually is the reason that I'm here, <laughs> indirectly. Uh, Chuck Colson, I'll get to this in a minute, I'll bring it back to this, but Chuck Colson was one of the five top uh, leaders in President Nixon's administration, okay, uh, right in the inner circle. And he was, prior to going into that administration, was a, he considered himself a very ethical person. But in the, being in the office and the power of the office changed him some. And he made some decisions that really were not ethical decisions. And in fact, the press kidded. No, the, I don't know that they were kidding. Um, they, made, they said that Chuck made a comment, which uh, he questioned a bit afterwards. But he said uh, the comment that supposedly Chuck made was said was he'd run over his grandmother to get Richard Nixon reelected. Okay. Now... Whether he actually said that is a question mark, but people that he wasn't a perfect person at that particular point. And so he was very high up in President Nixon's administration, ended up going to uh, prison in light of the Watergate scandal. Again, hope that you know what that is, but you may not. But a scandal related to the, to the Nixon administration, ends up going to prison, spends a while in federal prison. And as he's finishing up in his prison sentence, one of the other prisoners there says, hey, Colson. What you going to do for us when you get out of here? And it sort of took Chuck back a little bit. But something had changed in Chuck's heart before he even went to prison. Because uh, prior to the re-election, or prior to the election in 1972, he went to visit a former person he knew up in the Boston area and was going to be there to talk about a possible job after the 72 election. 
And as he was there, what he didn't know when he went to speak to this CEO of a very big corporation was that that CEO had actually gotten born again. And so in the midst of their discussions, the CEO shares with him about his new relationship with Jesus Christ. This is to Chuck Colson, one of the top powerful people in the United States. Chuck listens, but doesn't show a whole lot as he's talking to this CEO, heads out of that CEO's home where they were having this discussion, gets in his car, and starts weeping. Just starts weeping in light of his desire for Jesus Christ. And so he went to prison, but he was, had already been born again and was started studying the Bible a lot, learning about it, what's in the Bible. And after he was confronted by that prisoner, he made a decision, this is my understanding of the sequence, to set up Prison Fellowship International, which became the largest prison ministry in the world. And as he... Uh, as he set that up and saw, you know, about the sorts of things that went on with prisoners, even beyond his own experience, he realized that biblical worldview was a huge issue, Uh, that Christians as a whole did not understand that the Bible is really supposed to apply to every aspect of life. So you're a president of a corporation. It's supposed to apply to you how you deal with your employees. It's supposed to apply to you as far as how you deal with prospective customers. If you are an initial employee just being employed for the first time, it's supposed to apply to you. God's word says work heartily as to the Lord. (laughs) And so we as employees want to do that. We want to work heartily as to the Lord. And so in any event, Chuck uh, ends up seeing how important the biblical worldview as a whole and sets up uh, eventually um, uh, breakpoint commentary in the early 90s where I started to listen to him and get to know him a little bit through that. And then set up in the early 2000s a one-year biblical worldview mentoring program where 100 people would be um, accepted for it and go three times a year to the Washington, D.C. area, listen, learn from him and others uh, in light of biblical worldview. 2006, I uh, was privileged to be a part of that. 2007, somebody else who I didn't get to know until 2017, but by the name of Jim Kyles, was in that same program a year after me. And then fast forward to 2017, and a recent graduate of that program, who had just graduated shortly before that, uh, was gathering some of us together in different ways, said to me, hey, would you like to meet another Colson fellow in Rosenberg? And I said, sure. Turned out that was Pastor Jim. And that's how I got to know Pastor Jim. Anyway, um, Chuck Colson in that book, The Burden of Truth, says this indifference to truth is at the root of the moral collapse in American life. So if you wonder why there are problems with moral issues, it's because we don't really accept the truth. And yet there are so tremendous benefits to receiving the truth. The benefits are absolutely incredible. Many of you have probably heard the statement, uh, you shall know the truth and the truth shall make you free. Okay? Sometimes it's taken way out of context. But when you hear that in its context, then you understand it's, uh, the importance of what precedes it. And Jesus said to those Jews who believed in him in verse 31, this is John 8, 31, when you continue to embrace all that I teach, you prove that you are my true followers, for if you embrace the truth, it will release true freedom into your lives. So the truth is, is going to release true freedom. And I would anticipate that everyone in this room wants some true freedom. I can't imagine that you don't. But we have to come back to the truth in order and embrace it in order to receive that true freedom and be released for it. And then um, Jesus also goes on and he says in regard to that truth, and this one was a hang-up for me for a while, in uh, John chapter 14, several chapters after, he's He says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father but through the Son. When I first heard that, I was involved in that ministry, and so I was, you know, trying to figure things out from what God's Word said. But in my own mind, seeing all the things I did, I didn't accept that immediately, that Jesus was the only way to, to God. But then over a period of time of seeing the truth unfold, seeing the difference between the grace of God as God himself comes in the flesh to meet our needs, to to meet the need of sin, to pay the price for sin, 
That is totally different from every other religion. Every other religion has to do with works. Every other system has to do with works, except for God himself coming in the flesh, dying for us on a cross, being raised from the dead, and being, paying a ransom for us. So eventually I realized, yes, Jesus Christ didn't lie. So the, a person said, well, either he told the truth or he either lied or told the truth. And I couldn't accept that he had lied, okay? And eventually I came around to see those distinctions between what he did and other religions. And so it, it, it is for him to say, I am the way, the truth, and the life is freeing for us because we understand from his perspective what he's saying and, what, and who he is. And that gets back to the most important question related to truth. The most important related question related to truth is not what is truth. That's where I was when I headed off to college. I was trying to figure out truth on my own. The most important question is who is truth? Is who is truth? Because it's out of the who that the what comes. You know, the what comes out of the who. So anyway, uh, we definitely want to get that together as far as who Jesus Christ is. And then he makes a promise that he's going to pray and send the spirit of truth, which is the Holy Spirit. And then he also shares that that spirit of truth will lead us into all the truth. Now, that's pretty exciting. That's pretty exciting that we can depend upon them. In order to make some progress, though, in, in, as we see what the truth says, we need to have some trust. And I'm going to share a couple scriptures in light of trust and then transformation before I finish up. And I do, I'm going to ask Philip to come up here a second so we can share a bit about that, the class that we've done. But in light of the trust, in Proverbs chapter 3, verses 5 and 6, that first year that I got into studying the Bible, I don't remember exactly uh, how this jumped off the page, but eventually it just spoke deeply to my heart. Proverbs 3, verses 5 and 6, Trust in the Lord with all your heart, and lean not to your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge him, and he shall direct your paths. Now, Perhaps you're not in the situation that I continue to be in, but I have to make decisions about where I'm going in my life. It's a blessing to be able to trust in the Lord and to allow him to direct my path rather than to try to figure things out on my own and mess up. I've done enough of them trying to figure it out on my own and messing up. And the, in, in the book of Jeremiah, Jeremiah basically says, explains a little bit of the difference between trusting in ourself versus trusting in the Lord. And in Jeremiah chapter 17, verse 5, he says, cursed is the person who trusts in mankind. He makes human flesh his strength and his heart turns from the Lord. So if we're trusting in our own flesh, we're turning from the Lord. He gives an image then that that person will be like a juniper in the Arabah. He cannot see when good comes, but dwells in the parched places in the wilderness in a salt land where no one lives. In contrast, the person who trusts in the Lord, whose confidence indeed is the Lord, is blessed. He will be like a tree planted by water. It sends its roots out toward a stream. It doesn't fear when heat comes and its foliage remains green. It will not worry in a year of drought or cease producing fruit. So there is a benefit of putting our trust in the Lord. And just for a moment, I'm going to speak to men in here, okay? You women can hear this too, but I'm speaking directly to you as men right now. Men, we have got to trust in the Lord. We have got to get back to the truth and trust in the Lord in order to rise up as God would have us to rise up in the cultural moment in which we live. The church needs to rise up and men need to rise up in the church. God is craving for us as men to rise up in the church. He's waiting for it. He's imploring us. It's as though Jesus himself is saying, men, rise up, rise up, rise up. And we need help doing it. So when we, when we get together in small groups and such, we can help one another. A group that Philip and I are part of, Ali, is called Men of Truth. We meet out in East Bernard. There are other men's groups that try to help you along in that. But it is, so, it is so rich when we choose to rise up and have our, the women that are a part of our lives be praying for us. 
you know, it, it's sort of sad in a sense that women seem to have a greater enthusiasm or propensity to love the Lord. I love that, that they do. But how about us, men? Come on. How about us? Let's rise up. Let's stand up. Let's hold forth the truth, regardless of the consequences. I do not know what's going to happen in our country. I don't know what's going to happen in the future for our country. It may be great. It may not be great. But what I do know is I have a responsibility to stand up for Jesus Christ. And, and even if that meant going to prison, whatever it may, might mean, I'm not saying it's going to, but I, I, I listen and I watch Voice of the Martyrs to see uh, our brothers and sisters in Christ who throughout the world are persecuted and stand up for the truth no matter what the consequences are. It's an inspiration to me. And, and I trust that it can be an inspiration to you when people stand up for what is right. There's a, uh, an example of that is a man by the name of Richard Wormbrandt. And I'm going to share this fairly quickly here. But Richard Wormbrandt, who went to prison, he was in Romania. He was a pastor. Went to prison just because he taught the Bible. <laughs> okay? This goes back a number of years. And, but Romania was under communist rule at that particular time. He went to prison. And he got tortured. There's a book that is written by him about, about him tortured for Christ. Okay? And he, he shares this about a uh, time when he was in, in the prison. He says, in prison, the political officer asked me harshly, how long will you continue to keep your stupid religion? Now, he's been tortured, okay? He could break. <laughs> it would be easy, you know, but he didn't. I said to him, this is Richard Wormbrandt, I have seen innumerable atheists regretting on their deathbeds that they have been godless. They called on Christ. Can you imagine that a Christian could regret when death is near that he has been a Christian and call on Marx or Lenin to rescue him from his faith? <laughs> the officer laughed. A clever answer. I, Richard, continued. When an engineer has built a bridge, the fact that a cat can pass over the bridge is no proof that the bridge is good. A train must pass over it to prove its strength. The fact that you can be an atheist when everything goes well does not prove the truth of atheism. It does not hold up in moments of great crisis. I used Lenin's books to prove, him, to prove to him, that political officer, that even after becoming a prime minister of the Soviet Union, Lenin himself prayed when things went wrong. We were quiet and could quietly await the development of events, meaning Christians. It was the communists who were unquiet and launched new and anti-religious campaigns. By this they proved what St. Augustine said, uneasy is the heart until it rests in thee. Uneasy is the heart until it rests in thee. That's how I was until I got back to the truth in Jesus Christ. My heart was uneasy. That's how some of you may have uneasy hearts until you come back to the Lord and the truth of the Lord and then come back and not only you, you trust in him, you trust in him and gain confidence through that. One... Um, Two more verses, I think, a couple more verses. But Isaiah 26 gives a tremendous benefit to trusting in the Lord. It says, you will, keep, you will keep the mind, God, you will keep the mind that is dependent on you in perfect peace. Can anybody use some perfect peace today? I know I can. For it is trusting in you. Trust in the Lord forever because in the Lord, the Lord himself is an everlasting rock. When we trust on the Lord, it is an everlasting rock. And finally, a little bit on transformation. Uh, and transformation, Romans chapter 12, verse 2. I actually went to a, a camp that same year, 19, summer of 1974, that first year I got involved with sort of biblical stuff. And it was on the renewed mind. And this verse was the center point. Romans chapter 12, verse 2. Do not be conformed to this age. And, and I will say that right now. Do not be conformed to this age. Don't go the way of the world. But... Be transformed by the renewing of your mind so that you may discern what is that good, pleasing, and perfect will of God. Be transformed. And that word transformed is the Greek word metamorpho, which many of you who have studied some science will recognize as like metamorphosis, okay? Metamorphosis, like a caterpillar to a butterfly. And we have some pictures up here. There's the caterpillar, and the caterpillar is really excited about life. Oh, I get to crawl around everywhere. 
And it does it for however long that caterpillar crawls along and then up a tree. And then it gets in its cocoon. And it's in that cocoon for a period of time where we don't see things going on, but there are things going on inside. And eventually that butterfly pops out of there, that beautiful butterfly with all of its freedom and its colors, it pops out of there. And that's metamorphosis. That's what God wants for us on a day-by-day-by-day basis is that transformation, that metamorphosis. When we come back to his word, the truth, when we come back to Jesus Christ, when we trust in the Lord. And the ultimate goal then is out of 2 Corinthians 3.18, it says, but we all with unveiled face beholding as in a mirror the glory of the Lord are being transformed into the same image from glory to glory, just as the spirit by the spirit of the Lord. We are transformed from glory to glory. How wonderful that can be. Well, I do want for just a couple minutes, uh, Philip, would you come up here, please? Philip, uh, go ahead. And we have to watch those stairs. Those stairs can be a little bit intimidating. And I'll be over there in just a moment to sit with you, uh, Philip. But let me just ask for a second. Uh, how many, um, you love the Lord. And how much do you love his word? Completely. Completely, that's right. And we uh, share together this video series. We, we do it like we're seated at, at a table here, okay? And we're talking back and forth kind of informally, and, but leading people. And what are some of the things, anything you remember that we share out of those first couple of sessions as far as how to study the Word of God? Yes, uh, the first thing we address is the nature of God's Word. And God's Word has stuff in it like it's more to be desired than gold, more than much fine gold. It's... Uh, more, br- br- more brilliant than diamonds or rubies. And Peter, when I first started getting into the Word, I, I looked at that and I'm thinking, eh, I'm not quite there yet. But I got to tell you, folks, I'm getting close. The and, Word of God just rocks. And how many years, Philip, have you been studying God's Word? Now, you're, you're kind of young, you know, compared to some of those old guys. I'm very young, Peter. <laughs> I've been studying the Word for about 45 years. So you're at least 46. Yes. Yes, he's a little older than that. In fact, a couple of his former students are in this room right now. My, my daughter, my son, were both students of Philip's. My son was in his first class teaching fourth grade, yep. as I recall. Uh, and I wish I had gone back and been more ugly with the teacher and yelled at him and screamed at him. No, I don't. I, I don't think I ever came and complained, I don't think, because you were a good teacher. Thank you, Peter. Okay. <laughs> They turned out great, by the way. Well, thank you. I'm just saying. (laughs) And Philip actually has, for a number of years now, has been principal of the elementary school there in East Bernard. How many years, roughly? Uh, I think this is my 13th year. Right. Philip and I have known each other for almost 20 years. We got Mm -hmm. to know each other uh, through a prayer group initially, and then um, that was the primary way for quite a while, but... Uh, now here at this church and teaching, the working together. We did a small group on uh, studying God's Word and now the videos. Yeah. And it's really a delight to, to know Philip. But Philip, um, one other question I have for you. If there's something that you would like to communicate that people would get as they go through that video series uh, in light of God's Word, a single word, what would you say that is? For me, Peter, that'd be passion. I am absolutely wild about the Word of God. There is nothing on earth, and I mean nothing, uh, that thrills me more than the Word of God. Digging into it, just learning new things, getting that revelation that you were talking about in uh, Matthew 6, 33, uh, it's fabulous. You know, God is huge, and as old as you get, you never get him get him all figured out. But he does say that one na- one day, we will know him even as we are known, and, and that's what I'm looking forward to. Absolutely. So, and one last question. How much of the Word of God uh, does God want us to know? All of it. <laughs> that's the truth, by the way, because Jesus himself said, man shall not live by bread alone, but by... Every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. And so we have that challenge, and we challenge. thankfully have a lifetime to right. do it. And what I do want to emphasize one last point here is that 
the topic or the, the title of it uh, has to do with the word of truth, keys to engaging in the delights right. and the disciplines of studying God's word, that there are delights yeah. and there are disciplines. So I'll teach about the delight. and He's got the other part. <laughs> My discipline <laughs> is putting up with this guy. But I've been praying for him for 20 years. <laughs> Well, thank you, Philip, and I trust that you will keep praying for me. Will you please do that? Speaking about prayer, it is a, it's a delight to be able to enjoy Philip, and, and he doesn't mind my kidding with him once in a while, and, and I only sort of kid, mind when he kids with me. No, <laughs> it's, a, it's, a, it's, a, it's a real blessing to know him. But as we've been sharing this today in, in regard to the truth and trusting in the Lord, uh, it's possible that some of you don't have a personal relationship with the Lord, but as I, as I share for the last couple minutes here, could we all stand for a moment? And as we're standing, and as I mentioned, it's possible that some of you do not have a personal relationship with the Lord. Some of you may be feeling weighed down, understandably so. Some of you may feel that the whole weight of the world is on top of you. But God's word says that you can know the truth and the truth will make you free. And that's through Jesus Christ. Because God sent his only son, Jesus Christ, to pay the price on a tree, on the cross, that uh, uh, he was tortured himself. And yet he was willing to pay that price in order that we could legally bought, be bought back, be redeemed. That's a legal term, to be redeemed from the curse of the law and that our sins would be paid for by his substitution. And so as I'm sharing that and as you're thinking and as you uh, realize that Jesus Christ really paid the price for you, there may be some of you that want to make that decision today also to follow him. And so I'd like everybody to close your eyes for a minute, but if that is you, if you have a desire to make Jesus Christ your Lord, if you have a desire to be able to put your trust in him and to have that perfect peace, to have that freedom, to receive those blessings. Would you just raise your hand a moment that I could see that I could be able to be praying for you and be thankful for what God is doing in your life? And praise the Lord, how awesome that is. Would everybody follow me as I just share this prayer? As I pray these, this out loud, you go ahead and write after me, pray this out loud too, please. Dear Jesus, Thank you for loving me. Thank you for sending your son to die on a cross for me. God, I confess you as my Lord and Savior. I surrender my life to you. I surrender my hope. I surrender my dreams and receive your free gift of salvation. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, let's give a hand. Let's rejoice with those who have accepted Christ.